Hey, I want to tell you about a couple of things that are coming up that I really encourage you to be a part of, uh, some exciting things. Um, next Thursday, not this Thursday, but next Thursday, April 6th at 7 p.m., uh, we are hosting our second annual AND Forum. So this is a time for us to have a conversation about faith and all of the different aspects of our lives and the way that our faith in Jesus shapes every single part of our lives. There's no part of our lives that, that is left untouched by the transforming grace of Jesus and, and the way that we view our lives through the lens of faith in him. It shapes everything. It influences everything about our lives. So last year we hosted this and it was on faith and depression. And this year it is on faith and race. And our very own uh, Dr. Christopher Clark is going to be leading us in this. And uh, Chris is a leader here in the church. And yeah, let's give it up for Chris. Come on. Chris is a big Kansas fan, so he's needing the extra encouragement this morning. All right. <laughs> but Chris is a, a professor in the political science department here at UNC. And he's going to be talking about his own personal testimony, his own personal experience, as well as research that he has been doing on this. And then there'll also be a time, uh, an open time for question and answer as well. So really encourage you to be a part of this and engage with a conversation that can be difficult in a conversation that is extremely important. Um, and, and more and more, we are seeing the importance of it come to the surface. It's not that it's new. It's that it is it's being exposed and coming to the surface. And we need to be a part of this conversation. So I invite you to be a part of that. Bring questions, bring friends and uh, bring an open mind to be challenged in that. Also, April 23rd, Baptism Day. Come on, let's give it up for baptism. Woo! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Baptism Day, April 23rd. If you have made a commitment to be a follower of Jesus and you want to express that through baptism, or if you're curious about that and interested in that, then reach out to us, please. This is going to be a great day where we celebrate life transformation and people embracing the grace of Jesus, being buried with him in his sacrificial death on the cross and being raised back up into new resurrection life that he wins for us. So come and be a part of that. Uh, after church that day, we'll, have, we'll only have one service that day. So starting Easter, we'll, we'll move to one service uh, and then go through the spring and summer that way. And so we'll go to Merritt's Store and Grill right after church, and we'll go down and, and have the baptism service and then celebrate with some Merritt's BLTs, which is always a highlight, right? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Today, we are talking from Matthew chapter 11. This is a message on Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and this is a word for tired people today. This is Jesus speaking directly to tired and weary people today. Have you ever been tired? Come on now. Amen. I'm not talking about sleepy. I'm not talking about, you know, a little drowsy like yawning. I need a nap or another cup of coffee. I'm talking about tired. Have you ever been exhausted? Weary? To your bones, a deep kind of soul 
exhaustion, where you just cannot carry the burden anymore. You feel like the weight is going to crush you. Have you ever been tired? Tired of performing? Tired of trying to please people? Tired of trying to keep up? Trying to stack up? Trying to measure up? Trying to rise up? Tired of trying to keep your grades up? Can I get an amen on that one? (laughs) Have you ever been tired and exhausted? Jesus has a word of encouragement for every single one of us today. Let's get honest about it. I want to see a, a, a show of hands if today and in this moment right now today, you would say, I just feel weary and I just feel tired. If that's you, let's be honest. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus has a word that he wants to speak to us today. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Soak it in. Let him speak directly to the core of who you are. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden. Is light. Jesus, help us today. I pray that you would just speak directly to us these words of encouragement and these words of challenge, these words of refreshing. Help us to be honest about the places where we are just worn thin and we cannot carry the burden anymore. I pray that today will be a breakthrough. For people who are buckling under the weight of it. God, I pray that people would find you today. And they would find a deep kind of rest. Even in the middle of the chaos around them. Help us speak directly to us. To your name we pray. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago we talked about what it means to be dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. We looked at this uh, this research done by a well-respected researcher named George Barna, and, and his group uh, took six years to do research, and then they came out with this report in 2011 on what they found when it comes to the state of American Christianity. What does the landscape of American Christianity look like? They did over 15,000 phone interviews. And here's what they saw. As we looked at before, I want to put that graph back up here. You've seen it before. You can go ahead and put the whole, the whole graph up. But we talked about that turning point here, that the first half of the graph takes up 89% of the population. 89% of the population is found in that first half of the graph. But the second half, we talked about being maybe this is showing us a map toward awakening. And it begins when we get this sense of dissatisfaction, this sense of holy discontent. Man, we said the prayer, right? And we believe that. We've been forgiven from our sins, and we are so moved and grateful for the beauty of that. Absolutely. 
but we get this sense of dissatisfaction and it's this sense of awakening, like we are being drawn into a deeper journey that the Holy Spirit is challenging us to be hungry. The Holy Spirit is pushing us to get hungry and to stop being satisfied simply with where we are, but to move into a deeper relationship. And it starts with that moment of holy discontent. Six percent of the population said, yeah, I find myself right there. And after we talked about that a few weeks ago, several of you came up afterwards and said, that's where I am. That nailed me. That's exactly where I feel like I am in this place of holy discontent. It's not that we're, that we're not grateful. No, not at all. It's not that we've lost sight of the cross. Not at all. It's that we're so moved by the cross that it's developing this hunger in us for more of God, to know him more, to move into a deeper intimacy with him, to not just say a prayer, but to walk with him daily in obedience into a deep kind of intimacy with him. We're hungry for more. And then it moves us into this place of being broken, Three percent said that they would identify with being there and then moves us into this place of surrender. Only one percent. And today we're going to talk about this next section, which is a profound love for God. Point five percent said they would identify with being in that place. It's this place of delighting in who he is of delighting. We've moved from being dissatisfied and he keeps moving us into a place of of, of deeper life and then to a place of dependence and then to this place of being delighted in who he is and walking with him every day in that. What we're going to do over the next few minutes is break down this passage here, just these couple of verses that Jesus gives us about being yoked to him. And we're going to talk about the way this reveals to us what it looks like to live in a delighted life, to delight in who he is. Let's start with those first words that Jesus says, come to me, come to me, Jesus says. What an invitation. That is an amazing invitation that the God of the universe invites us to come into relationship with him. Come to me. This is a direct invitation from Jesus to each of us to come to him. For the spiritually curious who are here today, one of the things I love about you as a congregation, all right, is that every single week there are those of you who are here that are spiritually curious, that you're just checking this thing out. You want to see what Christianity is about. Some of you are spiritually skeptical, And I love having you in this congregation. I love having you as a part of this church family. You keep us sharp. Some of you are spiritually critical. And you're like, no, I don't believe any of it. I'm not just skeptical about it. Like, I just don't even believe that any of it is true. To every one of us, no matter where we are, Jesus is speaking this invitation. And he is saying, come to me. This is not an invitation to a system of beliefs. This is not an invitation to a religion. This is not an invitation to become a member of a church. This is an invitation to a person named Jesus. That's what he is inviting us into today. That's what he's inviting you into. And and if you're spiritually curious or you're spiritually skeptical or you're spiritually critical, then maybe you're looking at it and you're saying, but I, I don't know. I'm very hesitant because when I look at Christians, all I see, I just see a bunch of hypocrites. And Christians are hypocrites. And if that's your view of Christianity today, then let me just say, you're right. All right, yes, we are hypocrites and I'm the worst one of them. 
I'm the worst one of them. If I have not disappointed you yet, then just hang on. You haven't been around here long enough. I will, and this church will disappoint you over and over and over again because the invitation is not to a set of beliefs. The invitation is not to a church. The invitation is to a person named Jesus. And if you're skeptical of Christianity, let me invite you, stop looking at Christians and start looking at Jesus. That's why so many broken people are within Christianity. It's because we know we're desperate for Jesus. Because apart from the grace of Jesus, we are desperately lost. We have to have him or we're lost. So look at Jesus. It's an invitation to him. If you look at his life and you're still skeptical and you're still critical, then that's fine. That's honesty. But it's not honesty just to look at Christians and say, no, they're hypocrites. I don't want any part of it. It's not about Christians. It's about Jesus. And it's an invitation to know him and to walk with him. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are tired, and I will give you rest. The, the, the scholars and the commentators on this say that Jesus is intentionally uh, channeling this prophecy from Jeremiah chapter 6 where God makes this statement through the prophet Jeremiah, where he challenges us, walk the ancient paths and you will find rest for your souls. Walk the ancient paths and you will find rest for your souls. What an invitation. And Jesus is saying here, I am the ancient path. I am. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Walk with me. Come to me and you will find refreshment for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. You will find the thing that you have been searching for your entire life. And it will be far greater than you ever imagined it. One of the great theologians and early theologians of the church, Augustine, said this. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Some of you that's resonating with you at a deep level today in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. It says this in chapter three, verse 11. God has placed eternity in the human heart. God has placed eternity in the human heart. Do you know what that means? That means that what you are longing for. The capacity of longing within you, it cannot be filled by anything else. You could fill your heart with this entire world and the world itself is still too small to satisfy you. He has placed eternity in your hearts. That's why you're hungry. That's what you're longing for. It's him and he's the only one that can satisfy it. You can pour everything in this entire world into your heart and your heart is still too big. And that the whole world is still too small to satisfy the depths of your hunger. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one. He's the ancient path. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. Come to me and you will find rest. You've been searching. But in Jesus, there is finding. There is discovery. Let your heart come to rest in him. As he goes on, he says this, take my yoke upon you. Let's put up that image of the of a yoke. All right. This is what a yoke would have looked like in the uh, in, in Jesus's day. OK, 
And so we're going to, Jesus is brilliant with his imagery. And he takes this image out of everyday life that all of the people could have related to. They would have understood this imagery. And he uses this to present what it looks like to have rest in him. It's really an interesting twist that he puts on this image. There are three things at play in this image that Jesus lays out for the people. Number one, he's playing on their Old Testament memory, on the history of this group of people and how they frequently refer to their past and the yoke of slavery that they used to be under. This is like the the most formative story of the Hebrew people is this understanding that, that once they were slaves in Egypt, And over and over again, they repeat this as their identity. This is who we are, that God reminds us that I am the Lord, your God. I'm the one who brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. That's the core story of their lives is that memory. And it shapes so much of their understanding about who they are. They used to refer to the idea of being under the yoke of slavery. And Jesus is saying, I have broken, I have shattered the yoke of slavery, and now I am putting on you a yoke of freedom. I'm replacing the old yoke of slavery with a new yoke of freedom. Now, that might seem counterintuitive, right? That seems a little backwards, like a yoke doesn't feel very freeing, okay? Like, like imagine you're, you're stuck in that. You're like, I'm not feeling really free right now, okay? A yoke of freedom. It seems so counterintuitive. My mom uh, grew up on a, a little island called Harker's Island. It's this little fishing village off the coast of North Carolina. Has anyone ever heard of it? Yes, that's right. Awesome. Sweet. So my mom grew up on this little island, and uh, her, her dad built this little house there at the end of the island, and uh, he was actually born across the street in a house that his dad built. And then he built this house across the street, and I got none of those genes, okay? Can't do it, all right? Um, but so my mom grew up there, and from the front porch, you can look out, and you can see the Cape Lookout Lighthouse. I love it. One of my favorite places in the world. On a clear day across the way, you can see the Cape Lookout Lighthouse. And at night, you can sit there on the porch, and you can watch the light come around. And that's kind of the thing. You count, like, how many seconds until the light comes back around. Not a lot to do on Harker's Island, okay? <laughs> but we would always go uh, get in this boat or, or in a ferry and go across the way to Cape Lookout. But along the way, you pass something called Shackleford Banks. Anybody ever heard of Shackleford Banks? Yeah. So it's this little stretch of, of, of a barrier island there. And, and on Shackleford Banks, the thing that makes it unique is that on Shackleford Banks are these wild horses. All right. It's like this family of wild horses that just live there. OK, and it's, it's crazy. There's no human interaction except for a few scientists that, that know exactly how to deal with them. But you're not allowed to interact with them at all. Completely wild horses that live there on Shackleford Banks. And they've done a lot of research to figure out how in the world did they get there. And through DNA testing and, and other things, they, they've discovered that they're probably from Spain. And there was a shipwreck probably that happened off the coast. And these horses swam to safety on the island there. And they have lived there for hundreds of years. Centuries of these wild horses that have lived there. Whenever we go past there, there's that thought of, man, that is freedom right there. 
There's no bridle on these horses, right? There's no bit in the mouth. There's no bridle on these horses. Like, they can do what they want, man. They are wild, and they are completely free. That is freedom, right? Or is it? Because here's the thing. Shackleford Banks is only is less than nine miles long, and it's, a, it's less than a mile wide at its widest point. Hundreds of years of, of this family of horses, hundreds of years, and they lived in isolation. They've gone no further than nine miles across one mile wide. It's not freedom. It's isolation. It's not freedom. It's isolation. The enemy will promise you freedom, but what he has in store for you is isolation. Jesus is saying, no, I've got a yoke for you. I don't want a yoke, Jesus. That's not freedom. This is freedom. It's a yoke of freedom. Can you imagine a horse, though, with a bridle on it, with a, with a rider that takes it up into the mountaintops all across the country? Like, imagine that journey versus the imagery of, a, of the horses wild and free stuck on this island for hundreds of years. A yoke of freedom. Jesus says, you used to be under a yoke of slavery, but I have replaced it with a yoke of freedom. Tie yourself to me. Bind yourself to me. And you will have freedom like you've never imagined before. And it's yours. It's yours. The second imagery that's at play here. First of all, it's that yoke of slavery. But second of all, it's the yoke of the law. And so when they talked about the Old Testament law and the Torah, they would often talk about the yoke of the Torah. Okay, the yoke of the Torah and the Pharisees, we've talked about them a lot. They're they're main characters in the New Testament, right? They're the ones that are always getting on Jesus's case and things like that. But the Pharisees are the experts in the law. They are like the masters of behavior. Okay, they've studied the law inside and out. They know it better than anybody. These are the people you go to when you have a question about the word of God. You go to them. They are the experts. And they were so passionate about the law. And they were so dedicated to make sure that nobody broke the law. To make sure that they stayed in alignment with God's will. Here's what they did. Imagine that this little notebook here represents the the boundaries of the law. So they were so concerned about you crossing this line. And about you breaking this law. They said we don't want you to get anywhere close to it. We're only trying to protect you. To make sure that you don't break the law of God. So we're going to build a fence right here. Around it. And then they build a wider fence. And a wider fence. And a wider fence. And they developed this network of complicated commands. That was designed to keep you from breaking the law. So if God says, listen, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day, then they're like, well, what does rest mean? What does it mean to work? Like, what actually constitutes work? Like, is it breaking a sweat? So we want to make sure nobody breaks a sweat, all right? So you're not allowed to do any of these things on the Sabbath day. So, in fact, you're not able to carry anything that's over a certain weight because if you carry that, then you're kind of exerting some energy and that might count as work. And we don't want you to get anywhere close to breaking this. So we're going to say, no, you can't do that. They became so captivated by that. It's like you can't carry this amount of weight. You, you can't even pick up like a mat and roll it up and carry it on the Sabbath day. 
They become so obsessed with this that when Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath day and he gets uh, Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk. The man carries it and he's carrying the mat and they get so upset because he's carrying something that weighs more than it should than he should be carrying on the Sabbath day. And they get upset about it. And they completely miss the miracle because they were obsessed because they were caught in this yoke and they completely missed it. And Jesus says, I have come to remove that yoke from you. The yoke of the law, this obsession that you have with performance. I've come to set you free from that. Jesus is the one who introduces this term of hypocrite into our religious language. Before Jesus, hypocrite had no religious meaning at all. It simply meant a stage actor of that day and time. So he borrows this term of of this idea of a stage actor. You're up there, you're performing for God as if he's sitting in the box seats waiting for you to miss one of your lines. It's not a performance, he says. This is an intimate relationship. I want you to be bound to me. This is not about a performance. So he says, I'm taking off the yoke of the law that you could never keep. You could never keep it. I'm taking that burden off of you. And instead, I'm placing on you the yoke of the gospel, the yoke of the good news that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the law. That Jesus himself is the one that the law has been pointing to the entire time that he accomplishes for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. And he takes the yoke of the law off of us and he replaces it with the yoke of the gospel. And this is incredible news. The gospel is not designed to make bad people good. And the gospel is not designed to make good people better. The gospel makes dead people alive. That's what it's about. And Jesus says, I have taken off this yoke of death and I am giving you this yoke of life. Be bound to me. Walk with me. Move with me. In what the poet Eugene Peterson calls the unforced rhythms of grace. Move with me and you'll experience life. The last of the images of the yoke is a yoke of discipleship. It's this yoke of discipleship. And so Jesus, let's put that uh, image back up one more time, guys. And Jesus uses it to talk to us like this. In that day and time when Jesus uses this phrase of the yoke and he calls out the image of the yoke, then immediately people would have imagined not just it by itself, but also what it looks like in action in daily life. So they would have imagined this team of oxen being yoked together. And one of the things that they would do is this. When there was a new ox who needed to learn the way, they would yoke that ox with the one who was experienced, with the best one, the one who knew the way, the one who had been trained, the one who knew the way completely. And so that new one would be yoked with the experienced one. And as they were yoked together, that experienced ox would teach the younger ox the way. They're yoked together. And as they move together, as they're bound together, then that younger ox over time begins to learn the way. And it becomes natural. It becomes this unforced rhythm. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. 
He's saying, I know the way. I am the ancient paths. I myself am the way. Be yoked to me. And I will carve out the path for you. Be yoked to me in this relationship of discipleship. Be submitted to the leadership of Jesus in your life. He is your Lord. He is your king. Be submitted to him. Be aligned with him. Be aligned with him. One of my favorite verses when I was in college uh, was Psalm 37, 4. And it said this, delight yourself in the Lord and I will give you the desires of your heart. Now, at first, I loved it because I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I got him on this one, all right? I'm like, Lord, I delight in you now. If you can help me out with this thing over here, man, you know? And, And at first, it becomes like this formula of prayer where I think that I can convince God to give me something, right? There's not a way to back God into a corner. He is a king. He's not a genie. You can't trick him with prayer formulas, y'all, all right? That's not how it works. He is a king. He is not a genie. Christians, we get so upset about the commercialization of Christmas, and then we turn God into Santa Claus. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. <laughs> He's a king. It doesn't work that way. He's a king. What that passage is about and what I've learned over my life from being yoked with Jesus, and it took a long time to learn it, is that what that passage is about is it's an invitation into aligning my heart with his. Delight yourself in the Lord. Let him become the deepest delight of your heart and your soul. Yoke yourself to him. Delight in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's better than that. It's because he will align the desires of your heart with the desires of his heart. And they become one. And that's what it looks like to be yoked with Jesus. It brings us into this life of delighting in him. He is the king. And everything in my life follows, falls under his rule and under his reign. He is the king. A lot of times we pray and we say in Jesus name and we claim something in Jesus's name as if we can use the name of the son of God to back God into a corner and make him do something for us. It doesn't work like that. When you pray in Jesus's name, it's a recognition that Jesus is the king and anything that is under the name of the king is under his rule and under his reign. When we pray that prayer, we are putting the seal of the king on our prayer. And we say, your will be done. Your will be done. And your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus taught us how to pray. That's what it's about. It's a posture of surrender to be yoked with him. There's an old Methodist missionary named E. Stanley Jones. I love this old man. E. Stanley Jones. And when he was a college student, he was wrestling with his purpose in life. And he felt like God was, was, was calling him to be a missionary, and he was wrestling with that. And one day in his dorm room, he gets down on his knees, and he's struggling in that moment. And he finally surrenders his heart to God, and he says, you tell me where to go. You tell me what to do. My life is yours. And he felt the whisper of Jesus say to him, get up and go to India. 
And he became a missionary to India. He ended up changing the way we approach missions in so many ways. At that time, mission, missionaries who were sent from the Western world into different places basically tried to convert people into Western ways of living in the name of Jesus. That was so backwards and, and so messed up. But he began to understand, no, the gospel needs to be planted into each and every culture. The gospel is universal. So the gospel must be planted into every culture and let it speak and be translated into the natural language of that culture. Through his work in India, he became very good friends with Gandhi and witnessed to Gandhi multiple times about the beauty of Jesus and talked consistently with him about the beauty of and the reality of Jesus. He ends up writing a biography of Gandhi and outlines in this biography the way that Gandhi used this nonviolent resistance to end up changing his entire culture. Years later, a young man who became the leader of the civil rights movement named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came across that biography and he used it as the blueprint for the civil rights movement written by a missionary, E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones had this greeting that he would greet everyone with. It was simply three fingers. It's not the Hunger Games salute, all right? <laughs> Somebody do the whistle for me right now, all right? <laughs> three fingers. And he would use it as this greeting and as this constant reminder of the earliest creed and the core declaration of Christianity. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the king. And he says, if you will yoke yourself to me, if you will live in relationship with me, I will lift off the burden of slavery and I will give you a, a yoke of freedom. If you will yoke yourself to me, I will lift off the burden of the law and death and I will give you the burden of the gospel and life through me. If you yoke yourself to me, I will give you the yoke and the burden of discipleship, of walking with me to where your heart aligns with mine over time as you're yoked to me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I want to challenge you this week. Every once in a while, just do that. Just lift up three fingers to yourself and just see it and remind yourself that core creed is one of the earliest creeds of Christianity. It's one of the earliest creeds of Christianity. The Roman government, they made you take an oath of allegiance to the Roman government. And it was three words. Caesar is Lord. Christianity intentionally and subversively came and said, no, no, no. Jesus is Lord. This is the reality. He's the king. He's the king. And I will delight myself in him. And he will align the desires of my heart with the desires of his heart. And in that, I will find freedom and I will find life. And he will teach me the way, the unforced rhythms of grace. And when I walk with him in that, I will find rest. I will find rest. As we close out this morning, we're going to spend time praying. So I'm going to invite our, our prayer team to come forward. And you can come to either side here. And if you would like to be prayed over this morning, then we invite you to come down and to be prayed over specifically for this. For those of you who are weary, for those of you who are tired, for those of you who are burdened and you want to exchange the yoke 
and the burden of of exhaustion for the freedom of being yoked in discipleship with Jesus, then come forward and we're going to pray over you. For those who are tired and weary, for those who are restless, we're going to pray for rest in Jesus today. For some of you, it might be a first-time commitment that you're saying, I want to make that declaration, Jesus is Lord. He's the king of my life, and everything is under his rule and under his reign. For others, you might just say, listen, I'm exhausted. I am worn thin, and I need the rest of Jesus. We're going to spend some time praying for you in that today. Jesus, thank you for being our rest. Thank you for being our hope. Yoke us to yourself. Teach us the way. Lead us in these unforced rhythms of grace. Help us to experience freedom in you and to learn what it means to live in delight over who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.